You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game in Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care, whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive into the episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group. We have over 2,500 members. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Just search Panthers on Tap. Things are off to a fast start for the Carolina Panthers. Dave Canales, Dan Morgan already in uh, Alabama this week for the Senior Bowl getting caught up on some of the prospects there before he gets introduced tomorrow. Bryson, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I think it a great start to the show. Uh, like you mentioned, Dave Canales already getting to work in Carolina. Um, hired one day, already working the next day at the Senior Bowl. is pretty impressive. And seems didn't like even get to his work. office yet. I mean, he, he's <laughs> been on the road before he's even in the building, so – but we got a good show for you guys tonight. Um, we wanted to bring in uh, someone who had ties and a you know a, Pan- uh, a Panthers fan, a Bucks fan, uh, who had some background and give us some information, some intel, we'll call it, on the new hire. So we're going to bring him in here. This is James Yarko, deputy editor for Bucks Nation, also the host of Locked On Bucks podcast. You can find him on Twitter at jyarko underscore bucks. James, thank you for coming on with us tonight. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. All right, let's jump right into it. Bryson, we can kind of ping pong back and forth, whatever questions you have for him. But first of all, I just want to know your initial impressions when this came down for you as a Bucks fan. Were you happy, mad, sad that Canales was leaving Tampa Bay? Uh, it was it was a disappointment. I'll I'll put it that way. It was a disappointment from the standpoint of you saw this Buccaneers offense really start to to click and and find a groove in the second half of the season. They rattled off six wins in seven games, then absolutely just dismantled the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs. And you know they they lost to the Lions. They really went toe to toe. You can point to about three to four plays that really. You know, were the deciding factor, but there was a lot of excitement among Buccaneers fans going into next season, right? You're you're going to be able to bring it back. Dave Canales and, and Baker Mayfield can build off of what they had already accomplished uh, during the 2023 season. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, Dave Canales is taking an interview with the Carolina Panthers. And, and I even said on my show that I didn't think Canales was, was going to get the job. I also didn't think that he was, that that was the right job for him to take. And it was because he had only been a play caller for one year. You know, he had only really controlled one side of the football for one year. And then going into a situation with an owner that had fired three coaches in less than two years, it, it, didn't seem like a great marriage to me, but Canales is the one that gets the offer. He he takes the offer, and I don't blame him for that. There's 32 of these jobs, and so when you have the opportunity to get one, you're you're going to take advantage of that. And I think a big reason that he got the offer is you go back to 2022, you take a look at what he did with Geno Smith, then you look at 2023, what he was able to do with Baker Mayfield, and you have a quarterback in Bryce Young who honestly doesn't have a whole lot of help. But they see the track record now of Dave Canales, and they say, this is the guy that we need to bring Bryce Young along. I just hope for Dave Canales' sake, he gets the time that he's going to need in order to accomplish those things. 
Yeah, patience will be key, and, and that's what we're hoping has changed for Tepper uh, at this point in his you know tenure in Carolina. Um, you know, some of the concerns that I've heard some Panthers fans express with this hire is the lack of production in the run game that the Bucks have had uh, this past season. I believe that the run game was ranked 32nd in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we hired Dave Canales, obviously, and then we brought over uh, Harold Godwin, who was the run game coordinator. Um, in your opinion, or from what you've seen in, in watching Bucks games, was the lack of production in the run game the talent at the running back position that the Bucks have, or was it the play calling? Uh, I think there were a lot of factors, honestly. And what that 30-second rank isn't going to show is during that that six wins in seven games, the Bucks strung together uh, four consecutive games where they were up over 100 yards. I think three of those, they were up over 120 yards in rushing. And, and you take a look at Rashad White. He finished, I think it was seven yards shy of a 1,000-yard season. So to have a running back, to nearly get a thousand yards on the season and still finish dead last. That was, you know, it, it was hard to get out of that spot because of how poorly the run game started. And, you know, some of it was, was play calling. I'm, I'm not going to, to lie to you guys. Um, Dave Canales was dedicated to the run to a fault. Even when it wasn't working, he was going to continue to do it. And I understand the philosophy behind that. Sometimes, you know, you stick with it because it does open up things in the passing game. It does force a defense to be honest and and not be able to say, well, the run game's not working. They're obviously not going to keep running because he will. And, and he had a guy in Rashad White that, you know, in the blink of an eye could all of a sudden start breaking off you know, seven, eight, nine yards of carry. So he was going to stick with that. What helped the run game through that stretch in the second half of the season was Canales' ability to adjust in-game. And and by that, I mean there were some teams that he faced were running up the middle, just was not getting the job done, and he started bouncing things outside and started getting the run game going that way, and vice versa. Sometimes he started by bouncing it outside, wasn't working, went back to the interior run, and that was working. So you take a look at at Harold Goodwin, and, and he's been a coach with the Buccaneers since 2019, as the run game coordinator and the assistant head coach, he's worked with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette and, and Rashad White. And, and those guys have all had really solid seasons. And then another coach they bring over in Joe Gilbert as the offensive line coach. You take a look at this at the Bucks offensive line this year, and, and they had some problems. And that obviously is going to play into the run game. But you take a look again once they hit their stride later in the season when they really all started finding a groove with one another. You had Tristan Wirfs moving positions. You had Luke Gedeke moving positions. You had a rookie who was taken on day two that was starting at right guard. You changed left guards during the season. And then when everyone expected Ryan Jensen, who played in that wild card game against the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, you expect him to be back. And all of a sudden, it looks like he may never play again. And now Robert Haynes, he's your starting center. Gilbert did some great things with this offensive line, and and they all together really started to find their groove. And by by they, I don't just mean the Bucks. I mean Canales, Goodwin, and Gilbert being able to work closely together and, and orchestrate kind of a resurgence in the second half of of the season in that run game. And I think that's a, another big reason why Goodwin and Gilbert were asked to come join Canales in Carolina. Now you touched on it there a little bit with the with schematics and running, but what for us fans, what can we expect from a Canales run offense? I was doing some research. It's 
at least this past year, they did not use a lot of motion. I think they were they were actually they used motion less than Carolina, and I know that was a big gripe from Panther fans this year, as there was not a lot of movement pre-snap. So, what can we expect out of this offense? Well, and what's what's funny is the Bucks fans were all talking about how great it is to have motion back in the offense because Byron Leftwich, I think he used motion in 2022 like four times all season long. Um, so what Canales likes to do, and I think what makes his offense successful once they start to play some some trial and error and, and figure some things out, figure out the strengths of the team, is that he likes to have a lot of different options out of one formation. So you'll see the same formation, you know, seven or eight times in a game, but every play out of that formation is drastically different. He likes to run out of passing formations. He likes to pass out of running formations. He likes a lot of different options and he's going to utilize every piece you have. I mean, the Bucks had plays that were drawn up for backup tight ends, Co'Keefe and Payne Durham. You had a lot of plays drawn up for Trey Palmer and Devin Tompkins and David Moore instead of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. In fact, Chris Godwin was nearly non-existent for the first half of the year. And then all of a sudden he started utilizing Godwin a lot. So there's not going to be a lot of repetition. And when you think you see something that you've already seen before, turns out it's going to be drastically different than what you expected to begin with. So it, it was something that he picked up in Seattle, and he talked about it in his introductory press conference, that they like to use kind of the same six, seven formations, but they like to have about a dozen different plays out of each of those formations. They like to keep things really simple, but he says it, it looks simple, but is actually complicated. And the more these guys start to grasp what the, the schemes are and, and what the playbook is, it's going to be really simple for them to execute and really complicated for opposing defensive coordinators to figure out. So we, we, we all, you know, have heard that Dave Canales is kind of the, uh, I guess, quote unquote quarterback whisperer with his work that he's done with Geno Smith. And then obviously his work with Baker Mayfield, uh, the X's and O's uh, we get that, but, as far as a leader of men, which I think is almost just as important for a head coach, you know, I think Todd Bowles does a great job of it down there in Tampa. Um, as far as a leader of men, Dave Canales, what kind of qualities can we expect from him, uh, you know, as a head coach here in Carolina? He's fun. Like, first and foremost, he is fun. He is a big energy guy and and he's going to be jumping up and down and cheering as if he's a fan working with some of these guys he likes to be out there running around with everyone always with a smile on his face and and offensive players gravitated towards him for that he is a really really good leader he's a young guy that has still been in you know in coaching and in the NFL for a very long time he got hired by Pete Carroll at USC and then Pete Carroll almost immediately takes the Seattle job and this is a guy that felt kind of caught in limbo. And, and he's talking to his wife saying, I don't know what we're going to do. And Pete Carroll says, you know, no, you're coming with me. You're coming to the Seattle Seahawks. So he's he's really similar to Pete Carroll in that way, that he's just an energetic guy who, who loves football, loves his players, uh, loves his fellow coaches. And he brings that energy from OTAs 
all the way until the last game of the season. So I, I think fans in Carolina are really going to to love his personality, love his leadership, and, and I think the Panthers players are going to be excited. I, I spoke to Kate Otten in the locker room after the uh, the Bucks-Lions playoff game, and he flat out told me, he goes, you know, selfishly, I want – Dave to stay like we love him we love playing for him uh you know we we love his style but you know I'm gonna be the most excited person you'll ever meet if Dave gets an opportunity to be a head coach because he deserves it and he'll be very good at it one thing I wanted to ask you about and you kind of touched on this I feel like with the run game but it seemed like the Bucs struggled on first and second down. And I think Baker, I think they called, said this during the playoff game, that Baker was, I think, one of the best, not or if not the best quarterback on third down this year. What was, what was the um, reasoning for the success on third down, and why did they struggle so much on first and second down? Was it his stubbornness to just force the run there, or what? what, what can you point to? I think that that really is uh, what it boiled down to for the most part is that the the Bucks were really run heavy on first down throughout the year. And early in the games, you know, you're picking up one yard, two yards. Um, then if you're throwing a pass on on second down and it goes incomplete, now all of a sudden you're you're really against the sticks and and facing these third and longs. But, you know, as as far as the third down successes, uh, a lot of that can be attributed to Baker Mayfield and his ability to improvise, his ability to evade pressure, escape sacks, and extend plays. And a lot of what we saw early on out of Dave Canales you know, in the preseason, we didn't see it as much in the regular season that I was really disappointed about, was he was using a lot more motion, but he was also moving the pocket a lot for Baker Mayfield. There were a lot of designed rollouts and bootlegs in, in passing situations that Canales used to buy Baker a little bit of time, buy his receivers a little bit of time. Like I said, once you got into the season, it wasn't, it wasn't used nearly as much. It was still in there, but you know, you, you take a look at, at his just staunch dedication to the run game and that set the bucks up you know against the the down and distance more often than not and there were some some games where he would go out there and you know they would throw on first down 75 80 percent of the time and about 50 percent of that time it it would work but he was he was very adamant about trying to continuously put his offense in the best situation possible for those third and threes, third and fours, you know, he didn't want to get into third and six, third and seven, but you know, again, when the run game wasn't working and he was still so, you know, dead set on, on utilizing it, those situations were, were not conducive to uh long, successful, sustained drives. I and mean, you can go back and you can look at a lot of these bucks games where they'll, you know, they'll open the drive. They didn't have an opening drive touchdown all year but they would open the game with a field goal. And then the second drive, you get a touchdown. Then you'd have four straight three and outs. Then all of a sudden you'd score on the next two drives. Then you'll have a three and out, and then you'll score on the last drive. Like that that was the model for the Bucs for a lot of the season until you know you get to the Green Bay game, you get to the Jacksonville game, um, you know, when they were putting up 
30, almost 40 points against against some of these defenses. But you would you would have two, three, four drives in a row that were three and outs. And a lot of those started because of a one yard run on first down, then incomplete, incomplete, and and you know, you're you're stuck punting the ball away. You know, and I was reading too recently the other day that his run fits in his run game schematically is is really hard to learn. And it sounded like it took them a bit in Seattle um, to get going with that and the way uh, he was involved with that offense. And then I think that's kind of where it it like almost clicked for Rashad White later in the season. And then they were just rolling at that point. But I thought I read that somewhere was is schematically his the way his run game worked. It was just it was a it was very complicated. Um I don't know if that's was the reasoning for, but I just wanted to throw that in there. Bryson, you have any other questions for James? Yeah, just just one last question. I kind of wanted to uh, get the temperature on this one. So you guys have a pretty important free agent pending uh, in Tampa that I think has a pretty good relationship with Dave Canales and uh, Mike Evans. Um, of course, you know Carolina doesn't have a whole uh, lot of wealth when it comes to the wide receiver position currently. Um, <laughs> I see you shaking your head. Where do the Bucks sit with Mike Evans? Uh, is he a priority this offseason for them to re-sign? And do you think his relationship with Canales could play a role in free agency? I I laugh because when this when this hire was announced, I even tweeted out. I said Dave Canales is about to throw all the money at Mike Evans to be the number one for Bryce Young, uh, and I said that very tongue in cheek, very very jokingly. And and here's my. Here's my belief and my stance on Mike Evans. First and foremost, Mike Evans is a first ballot Hall of Famer, period. End of discussion. He has done things at the wide receiver position that nobody has ever done, and he's on the cusp of tying Jerry Rice uh, for something else that only Jerry Rice has done. Um, and I think he gets overlooked a lot because he's played in Tampa, and he's played outside of, of the Tom Brady years. He's played with Jameis Winston, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mike Glennon, and Josh McCown, like he's still putting up a thousand yards with those guys. So uh, he's criminally underrated and a first ballot Hall of Famer. That said, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are absolutely prioritizing Mike Evans. And although he does have a great relationship with Dave Canales, I, I firmly believe that if Tampa cannot find a way to get something done with Mike Evans, if they can't come to some sort of agreement and he does wear a different uniform, I think the likelihood that he lands in Carolina is extremely slim. And the reason I say that is despite the relationship that he has with Canales, you're looking at a guy who is 31 years old. He probably has three, four years left. Um, He's he's going to end up somewhere where they are a wide receiver and maybe one other piece away from truly contending for a championship. I could see him going to Detroit. I could see him going to Kansas City, who don't have any receivers because none of them could hold onto the football. Uh, I could see him, you know, if if he was going to go to a team that wasn't on the cusp of of contending for a championship. I think it would be Houston. I think he would go back home and, and finish his career close to where he grew up and, and played his high school ball, played his college ball, 
and have the opportunity to play for a guy like D'Amico Ryans, play with a quarterback like C.J. Stroud. And, you know, at the end of the day, I would say that there, it's probably 95% chance he ends up back in Tampa. He loves it there. The team loves him. He's the greatest offensive player in franchise history. Um, but I don't see him going to a team like Carolina, like Chicago, like Arizona, you know, those places that may throw tons and tons of money at them, but they want a long-term return on their investment if they're going to be spending that kind of money in free agency. And they would probably rather spend that money on a T. Higgins or a Michael Pittman Jr., who they know they can build an offense around for the next five or six years, rather than a guy that may be out of the league in three. No, that's fair. And I... And I think I agree more with your perspective than, you know, our pipe dream that we have in Carolina of it's getting a wide dream. receiver like, yeah, like Mike Evans <laughs> here. You know, it just the, the mutual respect that we have as Carolina fans for a guy like Mike Evans, you know, he's killed us for years. Uh, every game, it seems like he's going for at least an 80-yard touchdown versus us. So, uh, you know, we, we we obviously need a wide receiver. And it's like, like you know, Curtis and I just mentioned, it is more of a pipe dream. But just wanted to test the water on that one and, and see how it was uh, going down there in Tampa for that. Well, and I, I will throw this out. So if the Bucks bring back Mike Evans, uh, you're you're looking at a contract that's probably going to be about you know over $20 million a year for about three or four years. Chris Godwin is entering a contract year. Are the Buccaneers really going to be able to justify paying two receivers over the age of 30 over $20 million a year? Because Chris Godwin's going to get just about as much as as Mike Evans will. So there may be the potential there that the Bucks decide that they don't bring back Chris Godwin. He obviously has a, a good relationship with Dave Canales, especially after he was so heavily utilized in the second half of the year. You Both Mike and, and Chris went over 1,000 yards receiving this season. So maybe if you if you wait a year, uh, Chris Godwin could become available and, and be that number one guy for Bryce Young that he can really rely on. Tom Brady even came out and said that no wide receiver he ever played with had better hands than Chris Godwin, and that's a guy that has played with everyone. So, um, you know, obviously I, I don't want to see that happen, but maybe something for Panthers fans to look forward to, that there's that outside chance that they could get that number one guy in Godwin uh, in 2025. Well, James, I appreciate you coming on. I don't want to keep you any longer. Um we appreciate your insight into Canalis. If you guys don't already know him, go follow him on Twitter. That's jyarko underscore bucks. Also check out the podcast, Locked On Bucks. We appreciate it, James, for taking the time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Anytime, guys. We just want to thank James again for coming on. We appreciate his insight. Someone who was tapped in with the Bucks. Good to see what you know Canalis was all about last year. But Bryce, I want to talk about some. New happenings that happened, you know, over the last like 12 hours or so with the Panthers. And that's a guy who was pretty much expected at this point, uh, thanks to Joe Persons reporting through The Athletic. But that's Brant Tillis. Panthers sounds like they got a good one in him. Executive VP of football operations coming over from Kansas City. Sounds like he was the one who orchestrated the, you know, the famous Patrick Mahomes deal, the 10 year deal that seems like has been pretty favorable for them with, you know, their cap situation there over the years. So just your thoughts on Tillis and 
you know, really the structure of this front office now that he's here. Yeah, and I think there's there's been widespread reporting that this is the same structure that Sportsology helped the San Francisco 49ers construct with uh, John Lynch and then their VP of Football Operations, uh, a name that is hard to pronounce and I'm not going to try to. But uh, so you can see that they've had their influence on this search, obviously. Uh, and a guy like Brant Tillis, who comes to the Carolina Panthers with 14 plus years of experience with an organization that has generally won and is currently, I would say, a dynasty in the NFL, uh, in the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I think that pedigree speaks for itself. Like you mentioned, he was the 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 head of uh, negotiations for the contract for Patrick Mahomes and what was quote-unquote a baseball contract, I think is what he said before the negotiations even started in uh, Kansas City for that contract. So uh, I think he's got wide respect across the league for being a, a guy that's known as being super smart, good with numbers, uh, a fresh face in Carolina. I think that's important. Um, you know, in the article, I think the Panthers uh, wrote that he's going to be <clears throat> responsible for all football administration and non-coaching matters related to operations, equipment, video, analytics, and other areas. And he'll also be the lead player contract uh, negotiator. Um, and he's going to be in charge of the compliance with the NFL collective bargaining agreement, and league rules, salary cap management, maintenance, and labor administration. So he's going to have a big job in Carolina, obviously with a lot of responsibilities. And I think that to tap a guy uh, like Brant Tillis out of uh, Kansas city, who has, you know, his name thrown around for some G open GM positions, I think even in Carolina, uh, I think is, is a great pairing with, with Dan Morgan, uh, the experience that he brings hopefully uh, works out. And, you know, I think that this is probably one of the better hires that Tepper's made uh, since he's gotten to Carolina. Yeah. Tillis, I believe was, you know, he was in the interview cycle with, Scott Fitter when Tepper interviewed like 15 guys for the GM or whatever it was in 2021. And, you know, they bring them back. I agree. I think this is a really good hire for Tepper. I will just always be the devil's advocate with this. David Tepper is still the owner. So if he keeps his paws out of the operations, I think, you know, let these guys work and see what they can do. I think there's, there could be a turnaround, but if, if he keeps doing what he's doing, we're going to be back here in another year or two. So I do like, I do like to hire, I think, you know, just based off of reading, you know, reactions around the league and some people who've been tapped in with contracts and stuff like that. It sounds like this is a really good hire for Carolina and hopefully he can, you know, get these things straightened out. And I mean, there's some big decisions obviously coming up. I mean, Carolina's got, you know, Brian Burns contract. They got Frankie Louvu who's a free agent. And they also got a guy who's probably the best defense player on this team next year, his contract's up, who might want a contract this year. So, like, there's there's a lot of negotiations that need to be done over this, this offseason that are going to be pretty crucial to the future of this team. So I think he's going to be an asset, and I'm excited to see, you know, him and Morgan, Canales. It seems like that's, you know, a pretty um, – aligned group there and we'll see how they work and hopefully you know good things are going to be coming our way um real quick i just wanted to talk about this senior bowl because that is this week practices are taking place i think this was day two of practices today so i just kind of want to discuss that just a little bit um any guys 
I don't know how much you've seen at all of the practices, but any guys that come out uh, pop in your head that, you know, have caught your eye over these last couple of days of practice? Yeah, I think uh, to go negatively, uh, a guy that stood out that hasn't been good is Tez Walker. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Tar Heel fan, obviously. Uh, he had played some good football in Carolina this year when he was allowed to play by the NCAA on a stupid rule that kept him out for the first couple of games. But uh, I'm not as high on Tez Walker as other people, other Tar Heel fans, you know, draft analysts. Uh, I think that he, he lacks in some areas, and I think that showed, uh, I think, in today's senior bowl show. Where did he play? You watched all the games. Where did he play? Was he a lot a lot of the time in the slot, or was he bounced around? Uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, he, he played outside mostly. Outside. Uh, you okay. know, yeah, uh, an outside receiver. So um, he, he does have speed. I think he was, he was tracked today as one of the fastest receivers, if yeah. not the fastest on the field. Um, so he has that going for him. But he has he continually throughout the games that I watched that he played in Carolina, uh, the Tar Heels I'm talking about, uh, he has concentration drops. And he today he had a lot of drops at the at the senior bowl. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I want you see the games. I want to know what he did in actual games because some guys go to senior bowl and just they don't do well and they're still good players. But it's alarming when you've said he's he's had several drops in Carolina when he played in games. That's yeah, that's something to watch. Yeah, so so that's a guy I would feel comfortable with, you know, taking in the fourth or fifth round. I'm not touching him in the second and third, in my opinion. Uh, I think he does have upside, of course, with the speed and the size, and you know, continuing to grow in the NFL. But uh, I personally, uh, a, a receiver who stood out. Uh, that you know probably had the best senior bowl showing in my opinion is is Lad McConkey from uh, Georgia. I mean he's his route running crisp uh, made some amazing catches throughout his time at the senior bowl and continuing to do it. Uh, I'm I really like him a lot. Uh, of course has the pedigree coming from Georgia, one of the top prospects in the country as a wide receiver. Uh, I, I really like his game. I think he could be a good fit in Carolina. Uh, but other than that, uh, I didn't spend a whole whole lot of time watching the senior bowl up to this point. Uh, I'm not even sure how much longer it'll go on. Excuse my cat in the background there, um, but uh, but yeah, I I think those two guys kind of stood out the most to me in a negative and positive way. Yeah, I would definitely. I I tried to catch a little bit of yesterday's, and I saw some of the highlights on Twitter. Um, but today, I tried to actually really watch. Um, and yeah, Tez watching that live it was brutal he was in his own head it there was Penix um hopefully I'm saying that right I don't know he had a beautiful pass to him I think it was full team drill so 11 on 11 out to the it was an out route and just right in him perfect spiral dropped the ball it's like dude like it was brutal and that was after like three or four drops in one-on-one so Something to keep an eye on. I really like Roman Wilson, dude. I mean, this guy is, he's ridiculous. Kind of reminds me of like uh, Hunter Renfro, but I think, I, I honestly think he's better than him. His his route running and his feet um, just coming out of breaks is, it's, it's, it's nasty. Yeah, the cat the cat's excited excuse about me. it even. Excuse no, the, the, the cat's even excited about Wilson. But yeah, the guy... Just a, seriously, just a, he was a beast on the field today. He made a really good one-handed catch. Um, they did a, a session towards the end where 
a player got to call another player out and go one-on-one against him. And the and a corner, and I can't remember the, the corner's name, he called out Wilson's like, I want to go against you. He got burnt. I mean, he whooped his ass. So that was cool to see. Um, I'm trying to think. There was I was a guy I was watching that played at Wisconsin was Bordellini. He's the he was the center last year for the Badgers, and then he also played both guard spots. And you know he he played pretty decent at Wisconsin, but he struggled. Like today, I was watching him. And he got he got whooped a couple times, just blown up by the D tackles. And they had them all over. They were he was or he was snapping the ball today. Um, he played both guard spots too, so they were moving him around. But he got blown up on one on ones several times yesterday, and then today he got um, whooped a couple times. And then on eleven eleven, he had a really bad snap that was like way off to the left, and the quarterback would have probably got sacked in a real game. So he had a rough day. Um, but yeah, those are the couple of the guys that I was kind of queuing in on. Um, and obviously the wide receivers, I think. Oh, also, we, you got you to gotta mention uh, Brendan Rice, uh, Jerry Rice's son. That guy had a pretty damn good day today and yesterday as well. He He's one to watch. I feel like he's starting to rise up more. Um I think those are the couple of guys that I've been watching. I think the senior bowl, I think it's this, is it this weekend? I want to say I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but um, that is just something to keep in mind as we go into this weekend. Cause there really isn't anything. What pro bowls on this weekend. Maybe no one watches that anymore, but, <laughs> but maybe, I don't know, but let's jump to <laughs> tomorrow. So tomorrow's the big day. Canalis Morgan. Um, they're going to finally address the media. We talked about it, you know, early on that, you know, Canales and Morgan were in Mobile this week or this week, like yesterday, actually, um, for the Senior Bowl. And he was actually the only new head coach hired that was there. So that was pretty cool to see already hitting the ground running. And then he came back to Carolina today. They had a little welcome thing when he walked into the building and he'll speak to the media tomorrow. Things you're looking forward to, Bryson, in that? Is there anything you're wait, you know, one thing you want to hear from him, or is there any questions or anything you have for any of those guys um, as we move forward here? Yeah, I, I'd like a couple things to be asked, uh, in my opinion, uh, to Canales uh, specifically. Uh, one, what drew him to this job? What does he like about this roster? And more specifically, Bryce Young. Um, what does a successful year one look like for Dave Canales and his, his opinion? Um, and, you know, generally speaking, I think if they can elicit some, you know, s- some talk from him about Bryce Young and, you know, what, what he likes in Bryce and uh, what, what he sees in Bryce's future. And, you know, essentially Bryce Young is the most important person, you know, in that building. And Bryce Young they invested all of this capital. We all know uh, first year didn't go as planned. And what is Canales' plan moving forward for Bryce? And and what does he see Bryce developing into? So I think if we can get a little bit of that information from Canales, I think my my goal of asking what drew him to this job is for him to say it was Bryce Young and and say that he wants to work with Bryce and uh, and continue to build and, and, and 
like I mentioned, uh, you know, talk about what he sees Bryce being uh, as a quarterback in the NFL moving forward. I'd like to hear that from him. Uh, and then, of course, like I mentioned, the uh, what does a successful year one look like? And then for Dan Morgan, uh, I'd like to hear him speak about what's the differences between him and Scott Fitterer because they were both so closely tied together, you know, best friends, assistant GM to Scott. What's the difference between him and Scott? Where does Dan Morgan differ in uh, in the way that he believes and sees prospects? Uh, what like are we getting Scott Fitterer 2.0 or is Dan Morgan completely different? I would like for him to differ- differentiate himself from the past tenure of uh, Scott Fitterer and, and him being the assistant to Scott. So not sure if we're going to get any of that. Uh, that's some pretty, I think, deep conversations for maybe a later time, but I would like to hear a little bit, maybe just surface level stuff from both of those guys on each of those topics. Yeah, you you'd stole the show with the Morgan stuff. I want to know what moves did he did he push back against, and obviously I don't think he'll get individually into those. But I want to know where his mind was different than Scott Fitters. Um, I want to know who's calling the shots. I think that needs to be asked. You know, like who's got final say here? Is it is it you know is it David Tepper? Um, you know, is it, is it Dan Morgan? Is it this a collective approach between, you know, everyone like who is, who's got the final saying I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is Tepper, but how much weight do those guys each have, um, in that front office and with football decisions? Um, I'd like to know what, I mean, I know he's going to think finally of him, but I'd like to know what Canales thinks of David Tepper, like. Yeah. What what did you get out of this interview? Like, and I'm I'm sure he's going to speak, you know, glowingly of him. But you know, that's something that's we we saw how uncomfortable Frank Wright was, like four games in when he was being brought into Tepper's office every Monday to talk about the game. Like, I'm, and I also I think your question is good. Like, what drew you to Carolina? Why Carolina? And I'm 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 assuming it's going to be you know. Bryce Young better be in that first sentence. Like yeah. that's that's a big reason why I wanted to come here and you know do what I've done with Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield and turn their careers around. And I hope to do the same here with Bryce Young. And I want to know how he's going to do it. Like how are you going to fix an offense that was the league worst last year and bottom of the barrel and with limited amount of resources because you're not going to have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin throwing i mean you're just not gonna i mean realistically i think we you know we the pipe dream is mike evans and t higgins i don't think that's probably realistic for this team really it's just you know we'd love to see those guys in a panthers uniform but i don't think it's going to happen so what can you do with an adam Thieland and a jonathan mingo and maybe a marquise brown from arizona and some you know a rookie maybe in the draft like what can you do with that sav offense and how are you going to and this is for Dan, probably. How are you going to fix this offensive line? Because, I mean, you have two guys coming off of injuries again at guard positions. You had a center who doesn't fit, who didn't fit the scheme last year. And how is he going to fit Canales' scheme? And then you have a question mark at left tackle that you invested, what, a six or the sixth or seventh pick of the draft in, in Iki Aquanu. 
What's your vision for him? Is he going to move inside? Is that an option? Or is he going to stick at left tackle and you're going to, you know, roll the dice and hope he bounces back after the sophomore slump he had? So, I mean, those are just surface level. I think there's a lot more, um, you know, that can be asked. I think, too, um, you know, where do they value Brian Burns? Um and I'm sure he's going to say we're not going to talk contracts here just like every other GM does, but um, I'd like to know that. I'd also like to know is, I know you know it was stated in the article, but is Canales going to report to Morgan and he's going to be the middleman between him and Tepper? I think that's going to be crucial. I still am salty about that sentence in that press release, and if you had, going back to Tillis, that was not in Tillis's article today, by the way. So maybe they heard, maybe they heard me and I think Ricky was bitching about it too on his podcast. So maybe they heard us and, and took that one out. And also it was not in Mike McDonald's press release today either in Seattle. I'd like to point that out too. <laughs> I'm going to keep on that train, but um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm excited to see, you know, what I feel like you had, you know, car salesman, preacher type matt rule first press conference ever um powerpoint slide type presser and then you had you know frank reich was like preacher like and not a ton of you know ton of energy um and i think obviously we're gonna see you know canalis he's gonna it sounds like he's gonna bring the juice everyone keeps saying that yeah um, and i will say this I'm sticking on to this even keel approach and not getting too high or too low. But I, what I did like, they had posted a video tonight on Twitter, uh, him going into the plane, and he said, um, you know, we're not looking for good stories here. Uh, and I can't remember the quote. I It's escaping me. But he basically said that, you know, this is going to be a no bullshit. All we want to do is win. And I think that's the approach that needs to be taken. I don't. I don't care about bringing all these old guys back and doing interviews and talking about all this shit with Dan Morgan. He's, I don't care about that. Yeah. Win football games and get this team back to winning ways. That's all I give a shit about. I don't get, care how you do it. Figure it out and let's start winning football because we haven't had that in Carolina in six, seven years. So that's good to hear. And I'm curious to see, you know, how that is approached with Canales because I feel like, these last two, you can definitely see um, some things in their pressers looking back on in hindsight, like, oh my, okay, this is, <laughs> I can see where this kind of just was headed down a the wrong path. So, yeah, and, and it's important to note, you know, the opening pressers for coaches are very memorable. So, like, if you go back through history and think of the, some of the most notable ones of recent memory, you got like Dan Campbell talking about he's going to, bite kneecaps off or you got Nick Sirianni. But at the time those guys were made fun of for that. Like that exactly. Was... Yeah. So so you can't always judge a book by its cover from the obviously from the initial interview from a head coach, but they are remembered. And I think that they do ring true throughout their tenure somewhere of, of I think it gives you a glimpse into their personality and you know these coaches being them true their true selves from day one. So you know, you got coaches like Nick Sirianni and Dan Campbell and even like Jonathan Gannon and Arizona, like these guys initially thought of as high energy, kind of weird, like not sure what's going on. And 
all three of them have been pretty good coaches. I think uh, Jonathan Gannon kind of overachieved this year, I think, with the Arizona team. Nick Sirianni went to the Super Bowl. Uh, Dan Campbell, they won the first playoff game in 30 years there. So uh, I think if you're a Panthers fan, you should tune in and really pay attention to uh, that personality that Dave Canales uh, protrudes through his first interview as the Carolina Panthers head coach. And this might be small and me just reading into things, but how he addresses Tepper, it will be interesting. Yeah. Because I think both coaches, and I could be wrong with Rule. I don't remember back to Rule. But I know Frank said Mr. Tepper. And it was very formal. I want to know how loose he is with the owner. I mean, is this, you know, David, you know, when we had, when David came and we had the interview, I want to hear, I want to hear what, how he, how he addresses him, because I think even those slight little things could, could mean something too. So, but I think we'll leave it at that. I think, you know, I know, you know, it's, it's a new regime. It's a new day for fans. Um, and hopefully they can get, you know, this new front office and new coaching staff can get things back on track here we really didn't even talk about Evero I know that's come up I don't know if we want to touch on that quickly I know I feel like we both are on one side of this thing and I don't think we're really changing um I'm really happy that the Packers hired their DC because I was worried Evero might interview there um so I the only thing I think holding really I guess is Miami's opening and then the Rams I mean if Rams hire a DC I feel like Evero is probably a lock to stay in Carolina fingers crossed I really want him to stay here I think there's a benefit to it in multiple ways and I don't just think it's the comp pick like I think he's a really good coach I think he adds value defensively to have continuity within that room and also he's you know been around this team now two years I think that can be some benefit to Canales as well but We'll see how things that you have anything to add on Evero at all. Uh, just that if I was the Washington Commanders with that list that I have for the finalist, I would be calling Evero for a, a head coaching interview immediately. And that's why I'm ha- I like that's why I'm kind of happy about it because he hasn't been interviewed by them. Yeah. So it's like he prob unless he comes late. I mean that's a possibility, but I do kind of want to laugh at Commanders fans because they thought they were getting Ben man and they got. <laughs> screwed they're they're in the same position carolina was last year and you know yeah. who the panthers pivoted to frank reich so i hope you guys pivot to some awful coach <laughs> and you suck because you deserve it um no you guys really have been screwed for many years too but it's just like man i told you so but anyway <laughs> we'll leave it at that i just Thank everyone for tuning in to the Panthers on Tap podcast. You can catch our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all your analysis and breaking news. And as always, 